It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. As he described it, Thomas Spencer Monson wasn't born on the wrong side of the tracks. He was born between them. In 1927, he was welcomed into the home of G. Spencer and Gladys Condy Monson. He had two brothers and three sisters. The Condys and the Monsons were a unique group of unique families. Tom Jr. is President Monson's oldest son. The Condys were Scottish, and they were rambunctious, gregarious, They were party animals. They were always getting together and having parties. But the Monsons were quiet and more spiritual. Happy days are here again. A child during the Great Depression, President Monson witnessed poverty, but also saw acts of service that touched him and stayed with him as he grew into adulthood. Dad has a, a special soft spot in his heart for those who are underprivileged or have had difficulties in life. I think you could probably say that he first realized humanitarian responsibilities as a young man. William James Mortimer, former publisher of the Deseret News, was a lifelong friend. He grew up in a less affluent part of Salt Lake, and in those early Depression years when he was growing up, his mother often would provide food to homeless transients that were coming on the railroad and other places there. And I know he saw his mother always willing to give a meal or to help or give some work to somebody to do for the food that he was given. And I think from his mother's example, he realized the importance of being involved in alleviating the stresses and trials of other people. One of the stories President Monson would tell was of his father in those times. Occasionally on a Sunday afternoon, he would say to me, Tommy, how would you like to come with me and take a ride with Uncle Elias? Father's uncle Elias was shriveled with rheumatoid arthritis, contorted with pain, a mere shadow of his former self. Why, we would hop in the old 1928 Oldsmobile and speed down Indiana Avenue to 8th West and there stop at the home of Uncle Elias and Aunt Teen. I would remain in the car. Dad would go in the house. And soon I would see him coming out the front door carrying in his arms like a china doll his precious uncle. Tenderly and carefully, he would place him in the front seat of the car so that he would have a finer view. I would hop in the back, and away we would go. Now, I don't know where we drove. I can't remember what we said. But, oh, what a legacy of love. My dear father never did read to me from the Holy Bible about the Good Samaritan. Rather, he took me with him and Uncle Elias in that old 1928 Oldsmobile along the road that leads to Jericho. He attended public schools and was an excellent student who became known for having a keen memory. Even when he was younger, he, had, he was very good at uh, remembering people's names, much better than almost anyone I know. Nowadays, 
He's a real storyteller because he has so many memories. He gained a love for written word, especially poetry. Young Thomas Monson also loved the outdoors, fishing, and raising pigeons. Loves he carried with him into his adult life. He learned to be a good fisherman, not from his father, who couldn't catch a fish if he had to. Dad grew up in a multi-family group or family where several aunts and their children lived there at Vivian Park with his grandfather and his uncles were the fishermen. From his father, President Monson learned the printing business. After college, he went to work with Press Robinson for the Deseret News Press. And he learned about all that anyone can about printing in those days and binding. And he has a real passion for examining typefaces and bindings and uh, smelling the leather on bindings. That, that He really enjoys that. Near the end of World War II, in 1945, he joined the Naval Reserve and gained a reputation for being industrious and hardworking. Like many others, his life was not untouched by war. President Monson would speak specifically of a childhood friend, Arthur Patton. In March 1944, with the war now raging, Arthur was transferred from the USS Dorsey, a destroyer, to the USS White Plains, an aircraft carrier. While at Saipan in the South Pacific, the ship was attacked. Arthur was one of those on board who was lost at sea. The Blue Star was taken from its hallowed spot in the front window of the Patton home. It was replaced by one of gold indicating that he whom the Blue Star represented had been killed in battle. A light went out in the life of Mrs. Patton. She groped in utter darkness and deep despair. With a prayer in my heart, I approached the familiar walkway to the Patton home, wondering what words of comfort could come from the lips of a mere boy. The door opened, and Mrs. Patton embraced me as she would her own son. Home became a chapel as a grief-stricken mother and a less-than-adequate boy knelt in prayer. Arising from our knees, Mrs. Patton gazed into my eyes and spoke, Tommy, I belong to no church, but you do. Tell me, will Arthur live again? To the best of my ability, I testified to her that Arthur would indeed live again. You're listening to a KSL special report, The Life of President Thomas S. Monson, a Humble Servant. In 1948, Thomas Monson graduated from the University of Utah with a degree in business and also met and married Frances Beverly Johnson. At various times, they would each recall an early visit to Francis' home. The first day I saw Francis, I knew I'd found the right one. The Lord brought us together later. I went to her home to call on her. And she introduced me, and her father said, Monson, that's a Swedish name, isn't it? I said, yes. He said, good. My uh, father was just thrilled. He thought, oh, we knew him. He was a missionary in our home in Sweden and helped convert 
my mother and father and 12 children. By that time, he was in, so. (laughs) And then he kissed me on the cheek. And then her mother cried, and she kissed me on the other cheek. And then I looked around for Francis. And then she said, I'll go get my coat. (laughs) Daughter Ann Monson-Dibb spoke of their marriage and relationship in their home and over the decades. Through the years, I've seen how my father has always asked for her opinion, has valued what she has shared, and then again has used what she has given him in counsel, in the decisions that he's made, in the service he's provided, And so he has treasured that association. Newly married and only in his early 20s, Thomas Monson soon became Bishop Monson of the 6th, 7th Ward with its 85 widows. Moretta Van Weird was a child in the ward at the time. We all knew that he was a great man. Uh, In the ward, uh, people said when he was made our bishop, he said sometimes that someday he would be a general authority. Professionally, Bishop Monson's life progressed as well. Mortimer remembered their first meeting. Here was a unique individual. He was a special person. I sensed that right from the very first time that I met him. And over these years, since that first, uh, those first experiences in the 1950s, I have come to realize that he is a very special and unique person. He always did things right, even though he uh, had many, many pressures. He always seemed to do the right thing at the right time and, and work diligently to accomplish what he felt were the desirable goals of his efforts, whatever it was in the community, in the church, or or wherever. At the age of 32, President Monson was called to preside over the church's Canadian mission. Though his responsibilities continued to take a lot of his time, President Monson always found time for his children. He'd invite me into the office, and he'd pull out of his drawer a checkerboard, and he'd pull out the tray next to his, uh, above the drawers on his desk, put out the checkerboard, and we'd play three games of checkers. He'd let me win one, then he'd beat me at one, and then we'd play giveaway checkers, and either one of us could win that. At the end of their mission, the Monsons returned to Salt Lake City and Thomas to the Deseret News. But a year after their return... And as members of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles... A higher calling. Howard W. Hunter, Gordon B. Hinckley, and Thomas S. Monson... So began his service of more than three decades as an apostle for the church. From the depths of humility and with an overwhelming sense of inadequacy, I stand before you and pray earnestly for your prayers in my behalf. As an apostle, Elder Monson traveled the world. In 1965, he supervised missions in the South Pacific. Elder John H. Groberg of the 70 remembered President Monson's recollections of Tonga as he dedicated the Rexburg, Idaho Temple decades later. In his talk, he told the people about the experience of the Tongans going to New Zealand and then coming back. I told them that if they were faithful in that, the day would come when the Lord would inspire the leaders to have a temple in Tonga. President Monson just reminded us of that experience and said, and they did, and the Lord did, and they have it. In 1968, Elder Monson traveled behind the Iron Curtain to minister to church members in the German Democratic Republic. 
Daughter Ann Monson-Dib remembers it was an emotional experience for him. And I remember one time he met a sister, Snetterfler, and there was no possibility of their ever visiting a temple. And he visited their home, and there were just pictures of the temples, various temples, all over, you know, their home. And he, in his limited language, in trying to communicate with her, he would just say, I can see that you love the temple. And she said, yes, I love the temple so very much. And again, he would come home and think, what can we do? While in East Germany, President Monson also made a promise to the saints there. I stood at the pulpit and with tear-filled eyes and a voice choked with emotion, I made a promise to the people. If you will remain true and faithful to the commandments of God, every blessing any member of the church enjoys in any other country will be yours. On June 29, 1985, the Freiburg Temple was dedicated, opening up an opportunity for those in East Germany and other communist countries to visit. It will be the focal point in the lives of all of our church members in this land. They are extremely eager to come here to the temple to receive their endowments and to be sealed together as families. East German leaders took part in the celebration and praised the church and its leaders for their efforts. Then in 1989... 300 East are climbing over the metal fence here. The wall fell. It was a portion of the Berlin Wall. President Monson placed part of that wall in a time capsule placed in honor of the Sunday school sesquicentennial. We watched as the darkness of tyranny gave way to the light of the truth and freedom, the blessed bells of freedom, rang a new millennium for the people of that area. And I'd like Brother Nelson to come up here with me and help me put this in. We sat together and received the approval for full-time missionaries to come into what was then beyond the Berlin Wall. You take a corner, Russ. There it is. Freedom forever. You're listening to a KSL special report. The life of President Thomas S. Monson, a humble servant. My dear brothers and sisters, conference is a wonderful season of the year. As an apostle, Elder Monson became well known for his ability to inspire, for his passion for organization, for service, and for his keen memory and meaningful stories. Some of those stories harken back to his days as a Boy Scout. As an apostle, Elder Monson served on the church's scout committee, then on the national and international committees. In 1982, President Monson honored founder Baden-Powell and the scouting movement. Baden-Powell did not sail the stormy seas of glory. He didn't lead a conquering army on a battlefield. He didn't found an empire of worldly wealth. He was a builder, a builder of boys, who taught them well how to run and win the race of life. I think he was motivated by the little verse, Nobody knows what a boy is worth. We'll have to wait and see. But every man in a noble place, a boy once used to be. Over decades, President Monson became the longest-serving member of the Scout National Board. Former Scout Executive Roy Williams, Jr. worked closely with him. He, anything he takes on, he would do more 
if he could. In 2013, as the church celebrated 100 years in scouting, President Monson was honored again. National President Wayne Perry announced a leadership training center in President Monson's name at the Summit National Reserve. President Monson that night spoke to scouts in the audience. As you continue to participate in this fine program, your abilities to think, to plan, and to achieve will be heightened. This, along with your personal integrity and spirituality, will help guide you and keep you on the right path as you journey through life. If ever there were a time when the principles of scouting were vitally needed, that time is now. President Charles W. Dahlquist, former president of the church's Young Men's Organization, worked closely with President Monson in scouting and other areas. He can go through a sea of bodies and be able to pick out the one and to be able to kneel down and to be able to talk to a child or to a a young man or a young woman, and it makes all the difference, not only in their lives, but in the lives of those that uh, that are with them. And many times, it was the individual. As a bishop, apostle, and church president, he would stop many times at a hospital bedside to visit both those he knew and those he did not know. <laughs> Some visits took him to Primary Children's Medical Center. Some were completely unannounced. He's mentioned some of them by name. Uh, he's become friends with them. Uh, he's held them up as examples of courage and faith, uh, many times telling stories also of love that he's seen them sharing with other patients. His daughter, Ann Monson-Dibb, remembers one experience with a widow at a nursing home. The nursing uh, caregiver was a little bit in a grumpy mood, and she, she told him, she said, Brother Monson, why do you even bother coming here? She doesn't know who you are. She can't remember anything. And he went in, and he started talking to her. And then she said, I know who you are. You're Tommy Monson. And then she started talking. And afterwards, this nurse was very emotional. And my father was able to comfort her and assure her. And afterwards, he said, she was the one who needed my visit that day. President Monson would say he often followed promptings to visit a bedside, and he would become known over many sermons to say, never postpone a prompting. I never cease to be amazed at how the Lord can motivate and direct the length and breadth of his kingdom and yet have time to provide inspiration concerning one individual. In November of 1985, a new calling for the then Apostle. It is proposed that we sustain President Ezra Taft Benson as prophet, seer, and revelator and president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Gordon B. Hinckley as first counselor in the first presidency and Thomas S. Monson, the second counselor in the first presidency. He served in that role for nine years, then again as a counselor to President Howard W. Hunter. And in March of 1995, he was called and set apart as the first counselor in the presidency. It's a privilege for me to be serving with President Gordon B. Hinckley. We have served together in one capacity or another for many, many years. At the time, he also reached out to those in other faiths. And I likewise have a great feeling of love and respect for the leaders of other religious faiths in our area, 
and in this marvelous community which headquarters the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. President Monson, President James E. Faust, and President Hinckley served in the First Presidency until President Hinckley's death on January 27, 2008. A few days later... Yesterday, February 3, 2008, in the Salt Lake Temple, the Quorum of Twelve Apostles met... And Thomas S. Monson was ordained and set apart as the 16th president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I'm humbled as I stand before you today. President Monson called elders Henry B. Eyring and Dieter F. Uchtdorf as his counselors and vowed to continue work along the path paved by President Hinckley. That's the beginning of the construction of the temple. He did just that overseeing the construction, completion, and dedication of dozens of temples, announcing new temples along the way. Today is my privilege to announce several new temples. First, may I mention that no church-built facility is more important than a temple. Temples are places where relationships are sealed together to last through the eternities. We're grateful for all the many temples across the world and for the blessing they are in the lives of our members. In August of 2010, he dedicated a temple in Kiev, Ukraine. That same year, he dedicated the Gila Valley Temple in Arizona, the first temple he had announced shortly after becoming president. In 2011, he made a significant announcement on the church's plan for the burned-out tabernacle building in Provo. Late last year, the Provo Tabernacle in Utah County was seriously damaged by a terrible fire. This wonderful building, much beloved by generations of Latter-day Saints, was left with only the exterior walls standing. After careful study, we've decided to rebuild it with full preservation and restoration of the exterior to become the second temple of the Church in the city of Provo. In May of 2012, President Monson dedicated the Kansas City, Missouri Temple, continuing a move by the Church to build temples in areas key to Church history. The Church at that time also announced the purchase of thousands of acres of historical property in the area. Dr. Alex Baugh is a professor of Church history and doctrine at Brigham Young University. To kind of return to our roots is, is uh, something that uh, is is kind of happening in the church. We have a temple in the Palmyra area. We have a temple at Winter Quarters. We have a temple at Nauvoo. The availability of temples to church members grew significantly, allowing well more than 80% of church members access to a temple within 200 miles. As more temples were announced and dedicated, President Monson encouraged church members to contribute to the General Temple Assistance Patron Fund. This fund provides a one-time visit to the temple for those who otherwise would not be able to go to the temple and yet who long desperately for that opportunity. Temples were also built in Brigham City, and in Ogden, the temple that had stood for decades there underwent a major renovation. But the focus on buildings and construction went beyond temples. One, two, three, let's go! In 2012, the City Creek Center, a massive redevelopment of church-owned property downtown, opened to the public. In October of that same year, President Monson made an announcement that stunned attendees and listeners at the church's semi-annual general conference. I am pleased to announce that effective immediately, all <coughs> worthy and able young men who graduated from high school or as equivalent, regardless of where they live, 
will have the option of being recommended for missionary service beginning at the age of 18 instead of age 19. I'm not suggesting that all young men will or should serve at this earlier age, rather based on individual circumstances, as well as upon a determination by priesthood leaders. This option is now available. As we prayerfully ponder the age at which young men may begin their missionary service, we've also given consideration to the age at which a young woman might serve. Today, I'm pleased to announce that able, worthy young women who have the desire to serve may be recommended for missionary service beginning at age 19 instead of age 21. Later that day, Elder Jeffrey R. Holland of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles addressed the changes during a news conference. In the vernacular of the day, this announcement, I say to these young people, isn't about you. It is about the sweet and pure message you are being asked to bear and the ever greater numbers God needs to bear it. The announcement sent a rush of new, younger missionaries into the field by the thousands. To have it just change all of a sudden, it's kind of just changed everything. Like the initial shock was like really powerful, but I knew like right away that I was going to do it. It was just so crazy, like such an amazing change. Applications for missionary service doubled. The church announced plans to expand the MTC in Provo. New missions were added, and the numbers of missionaries swelled. As membership in the church grew, missionaries and others moved into new methods to spread its message. I'm an auntie. I'm a teacher. I'm a Tongan. My name is Nalisa Wolfgram, and I'm a Mormon. I'm Helmut Wandra, and I'm a Mormon. Including social media and websites. During President Monson's time, the church was not without controversy, however. Facing criticism and protest for its support of California's Prop 8 and Utah's Amendment 3, and for the church's stand on marriage and family. You're listening to a KSL special report, The Life of President Thomas S. Monson, a Humble Servant. In May 2013, Frances Monson, President Monson's wife of nearly 65 years, died at her funeral. She was remembered for her service and her love and devotion to the church and to President Monson. My mother's motivation to be good and perform good work stemmed from her deep and abiding love for others. We will miss her and her beautiful personality of compassion that lifted our spirits and brought sunshine to the cloudiest day. We will miss her friendship, her gorgeous smile, and her kind spirit. Months later, during the conference that marked President Monson's 50th year since becoming an apostle, he spoke of his wife, Frances. She was the love of my life, my trusted confidant, and my closest friend. To say that I miss her does not begin to convey the depth of my feelings. This conference marks 50 years since I was called to the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles by President David O. McKay. Through all these years, I have felt nothing but the full and complete support of my sweet companion, 
countless are the sacrifices she made so that I could fulfill my calling. Never did I hear a word of complaint from her, as I was often required to spend days and sometimes weeks away from her and from our children. She was an angel indeed. He went on to speak of an anticipated reunion. Of utmost comfort to me during this tender time of parting has been my testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the knowledge I have that my dear Francis lives still. I know that our separation is temporary. We were sealed in the house of God by one having authority to bind on earth and in heaven. I know that we will be reunited one day and will never again be separated. This is knowledge that sustains me. President Monson told the conference, whether in the best of times or the worst of times, God is with them. This should be our purpose, to persevere and endure, yes, but also to become more spiritually refined as we make our way through sunshine and sorrow. Were it not for challenges to overcome, and problems to solve. We would remain much as we are, with little or no progress toward our goal of eternal life. The poet expressed much the same thought in these words. Good timber does not grow with ease. The stronger the wind, the stronger the trees. The further sky the greater length, the more the storm, the more the strength. By sun and cold, by rain and snow, in trees and men, good timbers grow. It was a message he carried to large and small congregations, to families, to widows, and other individuals throughout his life. President Thomas S. Monson was the 16th president of the church. With a special KSL report, Thomas S. Monson, a humble servant, I'm Mark Juke, KSL News Radio.